Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of C-Trade Cruise Talks podcast series, Post-Pandemic IT. I'm Chiara Georgie, and today we'll listen in as our technology ambassador, Ian Richardson, CEO of the Iceway, leads us on a deep dive into the vital role that technology plays in resuming cruise safely. Ian has 20 plus years of experience in both IT and cruise and co-founded the Iceway, a leading managed services provider and consultancy whose ecosystem of tech companies understands the challenges of IT at sea. In episode three, we're catching up with Dimple, Jatani, and Scott Piccolo, co-chief information officers at Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Scott describes himself as a technologist, whereas Dimple has more of an understanding of compliance, which gives them a uniquely rounded way of operating. Having been partners for so long, they have fallen into a natural, trusting workflow, and they've been able to fit that into Norwegian. They discuss the importance of changing company culture and the way that the company looks at IT. Especially with the transition to working from home, an organizational shift presents some big opportunities. Let's jump into the conversation where Ian has just asked Scott and Dimple to explain their backgrounds and how that path led to Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Both Dimple and I come from a consulting background. I actually moved to Miami in uh, 1993 and started work with a small consulting firm, was there for a few years, and then went to Arthur Anderson as an experienced hire. While at Arthur Anderson, my career moved to the point where I was senior manager, actually on a partner track. And then the Enron situation happened and Arthur Anderson basically decimated. At that time, we were acquired by KPMG, or at least our business segment, which was business consulting. And mm. business consulting was kind of this unique hybrid of operational business consulting, executive consulting, as well as technical consulting. So our business unit was acquired by KPMG, rebranded as Bearing Point. Dimple and I went there for a few years. And then one day decided we've kind of got a game plan. We know what we want to do. We should do this for ourselves. At that point, we decided to start our own company, and that was in 2004. Along the way, we had had multiple opportunities where clients had suggested that, you know, hey, why are you guys still doing this for someone else? Why don't you start your own company? We would hire you in a heartbeat. And we had a uh, client that was actually a government contractor who couldn't hire us because the fact that the Anderson as a company had been indicted at that time. So they said, well, we love you guys. We love your team. We'll hire you right now. We could have started at that point. And we would have had a major contract to kind of kick things off. And we said no, because we were still very loyal to our partner at the time, who's actually still a very close friend and mentor to us both. And so we said no. And then we went to bearing point. And then eventually we got to that point where we said, we got to do this. So we did. We started and we just kept it small. We did a variety of consulting engagements in multiple industries. One of the clients that we happened to pick up was Norwegian Cruise Lines. And then we came back in 2014. Is that correct? Beginning of 15. 15, One to work okay. in 14. And we actually did all the integration work to bring the systems over from PCH into NCL. And that just kept parlaying itself into more and more contracts with them. And we got to the point where they were really the main client we were working with. We met with Frank Del Rio, 
probably once or twice a year, every year. That kept going for a few years, and he kept pursuing us. And he kind of finally came up with the right proposition that we couldn't turn down, which was ultimately this role of co-CIOs to run Mm -hmm. the IT organization. I think the mix of myself and Scott is an interesting one. I came in with an accounting background as a CPA into a technology consulting role. So we had very different backgrounds. And I think that allowed us, the two of us, ended up on engagements where we could do all of the work. Just to talk a little bit about a culture and why it's so critical, Anderson's culture drove the success of that organization. And we Mm. went to Bearing Point. We didn't leave because we felt like, I don't want to be a part of this. I no longer want to be in a partner track. It's because it lacked culture. It was a confederation of independent contractors. There was no team. There was no theme. The other thing to note is that we were never staff og, right? You talk about contractors. We were consulting. Every piece of work we did was direct with the client, and we took on the entire engagement. In terms of the roles that you perform, obviously you said you complement each other. Am I right? You're sort of more responsible for the IT operations and governance, your enterprise applications and emerging technology. The reason for that, was that just your own thinking of? Have you sort of said, right, this is what I can do? Or was this something that you hashed out with at the time? Right. No, that was actually something that Dimple and I came up with. He gave us quite a bit of autonomy to look at the organization and come back and say, this is how we would do it. And so is it 100% perfect? Not necessarily. There's a lot of crossover, but that's where we've been very fortunate that we have been partners for such a long time that it's easy. You don't have that conflict when you're kind of shifting back and forth into each other's areas. It doesn't really matter. You have complete trust in the other person. So we are a bit unique in that respect. I think it also just lended well to our backgrounds. I would say, generally speaking, I'm more of a technologist. And of course, Dimple also has a CPA and has a very strong background and understanding in compliance and governance. So it just sort of worked out well like that. We've been going through a transformation for the last year plus in that we're really making changes to the organization to make it better fit our model. And that might result in other changes, maybe in terms of how we title ourselves or whatever that might be. And you touched on this, Dimple, but obviously you're from outside the industry. What were your initial thoughts on coming into the industry and how do you think that the cruise industry sort of measured up against other industries in terms of IT maturity, competence? You're obviously a lot more knowledgeable of the industry itself now. What did you think when you came in and what do you think now? Well, I can only speak to what we saw at NCLH, but you know, you've got a very different dynamic in the cruise industry. It's very cruise-specific applications. In yeah. typical organizations, you can pick one ERP and you're done, right? And you talk about the core part of the organization, but there mm. are so many applications and pieces that are core to the organization when it comes to the cruise line. You've got floating hotels out there, so you're dealing with a different dynamic when it comes to connectivity. I think you talk about original mindset. I think folks thought that everything has to always be on-prem. We can't go to the cloud. I think that's been something we were told we had naysayers around that. And I think that was a mindset. Nope, we're a ship. You can't do the cloud. You can do a hybrid version of that. And we successfully done that on the security side of the house, right? We're doing everything in our SIM through the cloud. Obviously, we have things on-prem and we're able to replicate to the cloud. So that is not a no. We had heard that as consultants. And obviously, we first came on. That's not possible. So I think there's a value always in industry experience, but there's another value in coming in and saying, why can't I do it differently? But when you look at something and say, why can't I do it differently? You, you can't come in from not understanding where you are. You've got to balance the two things, right? And we, mm. we were looking at a lot of other things. How do we manage positional IDs on the ship? Is there another way of handling that? And I think what Scott and I have found, we, we question a lot of things where it was a no. And you know what? Eight out of 10 of those things can be done. 
And so I think it's important to bring that mindset. I think for the digital aspect, at least at NCLH, I think we're playing catch up, but that could be a matter of turnover. Cruise industry overall, it's a young industry. NCLH has only been public 10, 12 years. That changes the discipline and how you operate, right? It's your strategy around security, the infrastructure, and that mindset creates efficiency and increases delivery. It's not the sexy stuff, but it's the things that you need to do in order to innovate, in order to move to the next step. I think that what we found and what our belief is that is the cruise industry is relatively immature. And it is partly due to the fact that it's so specific. So for example, a reservation system. Well, what are your options? What can you use? There's only so many players out there and they're very specific to the industry. And you wouldn't necessarily look at any of them and say, well, they're a cutting edge ERP type of solution. Unfortunately, that is just sort of the nature of the industry because there's not a big enough base to develop something like that. And we understand that. We get that. And I think Mm -hmm. something else that Dimple kind of touched on, which is really important, we do come from outside of the industry. And I think that's healthy. I think that's good, right? Sometimes you get into a cycle because, well, that's how everybody does it. Fresh set of eyes or a different mindset. And you can look and go, you know what? Maybe there is a better way to do this. Maybe we should start looking at what they're doing in other industries outside of our own and bring that to the table and see how we might be able to be effective with that. So I think it was helpful in a way. Dimple and I both came in without having that real heavy cruise experience background. And we questioned because we have to learn. And as we learn, then we can recognize, hey, you know, there might be another way to do that. Or we might be able to find a solution outside of our sphere of influence that would work for us. In terms of the current situation right now, Presumably, well, you talked about the Enron situation, so maybe not. Yeah. For me personally, I would tell you it is not. I feel like I've been in other situations in my career. The pressure, the stress, the unknown outcome, it was all so much more intense. Part of it is a maturing process too, right? After you've been through enough battles, battle doesn't scare you anymore. It doesn't bother you anymore. You adapt, you understand how things work. So I think part of it's a maturity. And having had the backgrounds that we've had, multi-million dollar implementations that are hanging by a thread and you've got to deliver something by a certain time and the board is looking and saying, well, why do you just, you know, a multitude of things. You've got 200 consultants from three different companies on this massive engagement. And how are you going to make this effective and work? You can just come up with a million scenarios. I know specifically from my past it was a hell of a lot harder. It was a hell of a lot harder to adapt and adjust to versus this. I think we were very fortunate in that we've got great leadership. I think we were very fortunate in that we were able to do a lot of the work that we wanted to do before this event happened. I can tell you, matter of fact, and Dimple can go into much more detail about this because a lot of this was on her side of the house, but mm-hmm. a lot of the work that we did when we first got in, you know, we evaluated this organization. We made some immediate changes. There were certain things we saw and we knew this needs to be corrected. And those specific changes allowed us to shift into this work from home mode and deal with this pandemic. Whereas six months prior, we would have been in real trouble. I think Scott said it best. You never can rest on your laurels. There's always a deadline. There's a ton of different dynamics between the project team and the client. So it's never been a career of of being comfortable. Enron was probably one of the biggest blows as a young consultant. I was partner track, wanted to stay at Anderson. I did not want to go anywhere else. We knew quickly that we were going to transition to work from home. We knew that now is the time we would get the biggest adoption of technology, whether it was Okta, 
or Zscaler, being VPN-less. We needed to drive the user experience, and we knew a couple hiccups here and there. You know that's one of the hardest things is the user adoption, but now that kind of thing's struck off the list now because it's a necessity for everybody just to get on board and do it. Right, and you have to take advantage of it, right? We quickly Mm. realized we are going to push hard and I will tell you, we transitioned to work from home. We pulled folks from all parts of our IT organization that weren't on the infrastructure network or security side and said, I'm like, we need help. We've got to transition this org. We've got a short timeline. And it went well. Everybody got all hands on deck. And I'll tell you what else that did. It educated the rest of the IT team members and what our technology and our strategy was around that area, right? The more everyone understands how we're going to operate and operates as a team, there was a huge success in that. People were proud. They were proud of what they did. I mean, Frank talked about it on our last earnings call. I think the IT teams can be proud about what they did. Everybody had a hand in it and how we're serving our organization. Yes, these are tough times. We don't know we're all going to sail right now at November 1st. There's a lot that's unknown, but I think what we've instilled in our team is that you can control the things that you have control over, the success of those. We need to stay focused on those things. Continue to support the business. Be ready when that onslaught of bookings comes in on the website. We've got to do everything we can to be prepared and provide stability and scalability and efficiency to our organization so we can come back strong. I think it all ties together. There's been a theme since we've started in this organization. We've made several other changes around how we operate, how we deliver to the business, and we're continuing to take those methodologies and cross other parts of our IT organization while we're in this. you're still in that foundational building block stage are you using the time to complete a lot of the foundational projects and also a lot of the housekeeping most of the people I've spoken to are using the time as effectively as they can because it's a great time to do certain projects and, and sort a lot of the things out that they weren't able to sort out when you were in full operations that's exactly right that has definitely been a big shift and a big push from our perspective our first step is we needed to have a strategy and what was important, right? And then we had to sort of build on that. And that's kind of what we'll refer to that as our foundation. You know, when we mm-hmm. have those conversations with our executive leadership, we talk about, oh, yeah, we all want to innovate. Innovation is great, but we've got to have some foundation in place in order to support that. Otherwise, it's not going to be effective or it's a lot more talk than it is execution. So we have to be really careful about that and setting that foundation and making sure that we're prepared. So we've been doing a lot of that, a lot of that internal house cleaning. I mentioned earlier that we are transforming our organization. So we've gone through our entire organization and kind of come up with what we think the best operating model will be. And most of that is in place, but we've still got a lot of work to do. We've got some things that we'd still like to do and that we've proposed to our executive team in terms of how we want to shift our organization. And we also need to change the culture of the company and how they view IT and how they use our resources. So that is actually a, a big change as well. You know, anytime you're changing culture, that's always really challenging. I'd much rather change code, right, than culture. It's a hell of a lot easier. And so we're going through that process. And at certain times, as horrific as this has been, it's presented opportunities for us. Mm -hmm. Dimple mentioned that 
Frank talked about the, the job that IT did in our transformation from the office to the home. Frank doesn't talk about IT. We love working with Frank. Frank's great. But he'll tell you, you know, IT is not in his wheelhouse. Basically, his idea is if I'm not hearing anything, it's good news. So it's a little bit of a mental shift there. And we've had this opportunity to kind of show what we can do. And he's given us some other opportunities as well that we're going to be able to do some more things that we want to do. They're really going to be a cultural shift in the organization. So we're pretty excited about that. A lot of this may not have happened if we were in full operation and things were humming along and we were busy, focused on day-to-day operations. So in that sense, that was that little silver lining to this horrific situation. I want to talk a little bit about the three brands. So obviously you've got the three brands, O&R and NCL, and about how the technology differs across the brands and what you're doing in terms of standardization and or if you're going to be standardizing technology across the brands. From our perspective, that is a very important goal. When I talk about our foundation, one of the things that we like to show is we've got this slide that shows how many different res systems we have, how many versions of Fidelio we have, how many versions of MXP we have, and all this stuff, right? And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that we like to visualize and say, this is what we're working with. And we need to standardize this down. We need to get a single version of a reservation system. We need a single version of a hotel operation system on the ship. We need a single version of our shipside procurement solution. And so we know that we need to start consolidating a lot of those systems. And that's, again, one of our foundational pieces, one of the things that we're really working on. The other issue, though, the other challenge is the Oceana and Regent brands are very unique, but the Oceana and Regent brands are very different. So you start looking at process, right? And processes and how they're using the systems. And it's very different. And that becomes a bit of a challenge when you talk about like a reservation system, or you talk about MXP and how they're using the functionality. So there's a bigger challenge there. It's not as simple as just taking two systems and combining them together, cleaning up the data, and there you go. Again, there's a cultural shift. And again, you have to get all the brands to agree on a single process. This is how we're going to operate as a enterprise level company versus just this brand or just that brand. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to be specific to the brand, but then there are times when you need to look at things a little bit more holistically across the organization. We are going through that process, but it is a challenge. And some systems they use are similar and some systems are very unique to the brands. I think the mindset folks have to get over is my demand is not number one because I'm not the bigger guy, right? And that's not the case. Our job is to operationally structure our teams that if you're on one system, we still can deliver demand for all three brands. And and we're starting to make that shift with other initiatives. And Mm -hmm. I think individuals are getting the fact that it doesn't matter if we're in one platform, one system, we can still meet your demand. We just have to be operationally set up the right way to support you. That's just a mindset shift. You talked about some of the applications that you're using. Obviously, there's a lot of variance across them. But I mean, in terms of the changes that you're going to have to make or you are making for any potential new measures that are required when the actual CDC do release anything of these processes, what kind of things do you think you're going to have to do on changing the systems? Automatically, between our PMS system, right there, automating any kind of online check-in, it's going to drive changes with, with Fidelio, integration points there. With medical, right, we got to look at PHI and, and easy care is what most, that's what we use. That's mm. where that data is going to have to get stored for temperature checks, whatever reporting we're going to have to provide to upon entry to a port before we leave somewhere, et cetera. We're going to need to provide all that information. And I, I would say those are some of the primary systems where there'll be changes. 
pre-cruise, our res systems may need additional information we need to store about your health. Depends on how early we want to start that process. It will be two weeks in advance about providing health information. So it might be the core systems we feel that will be impacted by return to sale initiatives and obviously anything around the mobile platform. As well as mobile and web so that obviously we have an, an interface for users to get that information to us. I know that some of the lines I've been speaking to and actually some of the vendors as well, they've talked about, I wouldn't call it contact tracing on board, but at least having the ability to be able to trace where a customer or a passenger has been on the ship, whether they booked into the spa, whether they booked into the dining when they did it and aggregating that data. So you've got some form of contact tracing to know which passenger has been where, when. I don't know if that's something that you're looking into. Let's take it outside of return to sale, return to office. We had individuals coming to us saying, well, we got to start contact tracing. People come back to the office. I'm like, you're really going to have people download an application. I think I talked about this in an earlier event that you need 60% adoption for that to work. You need individuals to carry their phone all the time and want to download that app and share that information. I think Mm -hmm. it's a huge liability issue. And I think there's been little success when you look globally with those tools, right? I mean, people started it, rolled it back. And you don't want to be the first to adopt those things. But I do think we may have to leverage whether it's CCTV or things like that to know where people have been or look at other technology. I was thinking more in terms of not trying to use anything clever like BLE or location tracking because it wouldn't work on a ship anyway. As we know, you've got the databases of the various systems. You've got an audit trail of customers have checked into certain things on the ship and then being able to aggregate that data because it's being aggregated anyway. The challenge is how meaningful is the data? So for example, I look and I see that person checked into a restaurant Maybe I can even identify what table they were set at. But what I can't tell you is how many people they were in the elevator with on their way to that dining, how many people they passed along the hallway once they left the room. So it will give me some information, but we have to be realistic about how valuable that really is. What can we do with that? We can inform the diners that were around that person, perhaps, that they may have been in close proximity to someone who had covid but we can't do anything for all the folks that were in the elevator with them to and from mm. that dining experience or wherever they went after that for drinks mm. or whatever it might be. Well, maybe there you could figure it out because then it would be entered into the system again. But as they're moving about the ship, it's really challenging to say, well, who are they in contact with? And that's a tremendous amount of data that you'd have to be capturing. And you're talking about having everyone using the BLEs or whatever, you know, yeah. tracking via their then- phone. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the, the the national contact tracing apps kind of didn't really get much traction is because they don't work out whether you're just on the other side of a wall to one person and, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. And then you've got all the additional problems of the reflections on. And they have to self-report. Remember, they would have to self-report. Right. So in order for that national database to work, people would have to say, oh, I got it and and sort of inform that they had it. There's a lot of nuance A lot of it sounded really good when it first came out, but there's a lot of nuance and we have to be very cautious. You know, the return to sale panel is working through what we think our protocols will be. We don't have any real directive from the CDC. There's some basic directive there, but ultimately that panel comes up with what we think our protocols will be. And that's obviously for NCL and for Royal since we're partners in that. And then ultimately then that goes to CDC. CDC is going to look at that and let us know yeah, this is sufficient or no, you need to do more. But we have to figure out what that proper blend is. And then once we have that, then we can really focus on 
what we're going to do on our ships. We're kind of preparing for everything, but we don't know exactly where it's going to fall, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, like contract tracing is a perfect example. There may be some examples of how we would want to leverage that, but is that really going to be a valuable tool in reducing the spread of COVID-19? I don't know that it would. Based on what's been happening recently with some of the European lines, the biggest issue is not technology or lack of it. It's just following process. Yeah, there's two parts of this. (laughs) Yeah, it's just protocols. Yeah. Technology is part of the answer, but people have to operate in a certain way both the crew and the guests, that's going to be a challenge. I'm sure it's been a challenge at Disney. It's been a challenge at other places where you have a large populations of crowds in, in the same place, sharing the same space. Walk yeah. onto an elevator, you press a button. I'm not on the elevator with you. The next person comes and touches the same button and touches their face. Do they get COVID? You don't even mm-hmm. identify that in contact tracing. You got to have yeah. some balance. I think we're sort of coming to the end of our discussion, but I just wanted to ask you, how do you see the next few years panning out for IT and also NCLH, I realise that probably the next six months or possibly even nine or 12 months are uh, difficult to see through. The near term, as you said, it's just grey, right? We don't know. But in terms of where we are in the short time we've been there and our expectation of where we're going, we're really excited. We're really excited about it. We feel that we have the support from our leadership that we need in order to drive some of the initiatives that we think will be critical. You'll be seeing timing, obviously, but but you'll be seeing more and more from us in terms of really upping our game with technology and how we leverage that to improve our guest experience, as well as our employee experience, right? We can't forget that side of the coin. We're pretty excited about it. I think that there's a renewed excitement and interest in IT and technology and what it can do within the cruise industry, you know, from our leadership specifically. So we're pretty excited about it. We see this as a tremendous opportunity. It's an evolving product. It never ends. You never get to a point you go, wow, we did it. You never did it because there's always the next thing, right? So it's constantly evolving, but we're very excited about where we're at right now, what we've been able to accomplish in quite frankly, a short period of time. We think we're setting that foundation for real innovation and where we can get to that point where we can really leverage technology to make a difference with the cruise experience. Thanks for that, Dimple. Do you have any key takeaways? I think that Scott said everything we had to say on that topic, said it best. And yeah. we look forward to the next two to three years and where, where we land. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking again about some of the innovations that start coming out of NCLH as well. Thanks very much for your time, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. We appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to episode three of the post-pandemic IT podcast series. Make sure to keep your eye out in the future for more episodes in the series. If you miss episodes one and two, or just can't wait for more Trade Cruise Talks content, head over to the archive at ctrade-cruise.com forward slash ctrade-cruise-talks and sign up to never miss an episode. Registration for Seatray Cruise Virtual is now live, where Ian Richardson will be moderating a panel looking at the role IT plays in COVID-19 safety. So make sure to register today at seatraycruisevirtual.com. Mm-hmm.